0: It is nice to see all of you today. Uh, Can you guys turn down the mic just a little bit? It's a little bit hot up here. Um, So, it is good to be here. I hope your day, and uh, just a second, let me see. Uh, Can we go back one one more? (laughs) Someone saw ice cream, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) That's my attitude, too. That's what I do when I see ice cream. I say, yay. Uh, it, it, we are extremely glad that you are here, and uh, and if you're visiting from out of town or from within the Miami or the South Florida area, we're especially pleased that you're here and hope that um, you've already received a warm welcome and that we'll have an opportunity to chat after the assembly. Here's a couple of announcements of upcoming things in the month of uh August. Uh, We've got a potluck picnic that Julie does on a regular basis for the different classes in the children's ministry. The next one is next week, and it's the preschool picnic, so feel free. You don't have to have a kid or you don't have to be specifically involved, but bring some food, enjoy hanging out at the pavilion with uh, some of the young families and uh, some of the smaller children. On um, a week from Saturday, we'll have the ice cream social, and uh, uh, we'll be talking about um, we'll be enjoying uh, homemade ice creams and store-bought ice creams and all kinds of delicious desserts. Uh, that is uh, August 17th at 7 p.m. Something new we're doing this year is a children's bake-off, and so children under or 12 and under uh, feel free to make a dessert and bring it and uh, win a uh, uh, have a shot at winning a very very special prize and recognition. And then we get to eat a lot more food. So that's all. It's all. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Um, On the 25th of August, we'll have our Back to School Sunday where we'll be celebrating and recognizing all of those who work in the school system and uh, uh, those who are involved in the school system from parents all the way through to the children and the different ages. And that evening, we're going to have a special family night. Um, I think in your bulletin it says 7 p.m., but but we will be getting that on Sunday evening, uh, August 25th at uh, 6 p.m. So please keep that in mind. I imagine many of you have heard the news of what happened yesterday in El Paso and what happened uh, early this morning in Dayton, Ohio. Um, There's not really words to express the emotions and the sense of loss that there is, uh, but a common emotion at a time like this is just that the world has gone crazy and it just doesn't make any sense And then very quickly, there's an association that, well, it must mean that Jesus is coming back soon because things are just getting way out of hand. And it might be true. It might be true. But it would be good for us to remember that since the first century, there have been hundreds of predictions that this was it, this was the end. The most recent was by a guy named Ronald Wineland. He's the founder of a church that's named the Church of God Preparing for the Kingdom of God, which is a splinter off of the worldwide Church of God founded by Herbert Armstrong. You might know some of these names. But Reinhold, uh, or Wineland predicted that the world would end on June 9, 2019, just not too long ago, a couple weeks back. Now, it didn't happen. But this isn't the first time that he has predicted that the world would end, and it didn't. The first time was in 2011, and then when that didn't happen, he bumped it up and revised it to 2012. And when that didn't happen, then he revised to 2013, and then revised to 2018. And the most recent revision is 2019. There have been so many times when the media and TV evangelists and other individuals have said, this is it. December 2012, the end of the Mayan calendar. Remember? Oh, okay, this is it. And I remember that day because it was right around December 21st, which happens to be our anniversary. I said, okay, baby, we're going out in style. This is going to be it. (laughs) So I took her to the finest restaurant. I said, cost is uh, uh, is is no concern. We're just going to blow it all right here. And then I wake up on December 22nd and we're still here. <laughs> Those of you who know me know that I wouldn't have done that anyway. But <laughs> do you remember the hysteria that there was around Y2K? You can still buy uh, Armageddon Day kits that have... Uh, um, food and supplies. I know people that built shelters in their backyards, not for hurricanes, not for tornadoes, but for Y2K. Well, there is almost an unhealthy interest in those kinds of things in today's world. And unfortunately, certain individuals know how to capitalize on that now, I don't know how you feel about when people talk about the end of the time, the end of the ages, the apocalypse. Uh, there have been numerous movies with those titles. There's a brand new Spanish telenovela that's going to be starting, only because I heard the uh, the news on the radio this morning, and it's called Apocalipsis of the Apocalypse. And it's supposed to be starting on uh, 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 this next week, I believe. There's generally two opposite reactions. One is gullibility. Wow. This guy said it, the news said it, they reported it, it must be true. And so we swallow the hook, the line, and the sinker. We believe that the end is coming, and we also believe that to be better prepared, we need to buy the book or the CD or the tapes this individual is selling, and we're just very, very gullible. Now, I don't think that that probably describes the majority of you, I think you might be closer to where I am, and I go to the other extreme. And partly because of my personality, but partly because I'm so turned off by that gullibility of these doom and gloom uh, preachers. But the other extreme is cynicism. Nah, it's not going to happen. And it probably won't. I mean, I mean, let's think about this for a second, right? How long have you guys lived here? I've been around for 60 years. Hadn't happened in 60 years. Didn't happen during my dad's time. It didn't hurt my grandparents. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon. In fact, who knows when it'll ever happen, right? It's been 2,000 years. I mean, let's get real. If it hasn't happened in 2,000 years, is there a chance it's going to happen within the next 1,000 Maybe it's going to be 2,000, maybe it's going to be 10,000 more. Maybe we don't even need to worry about any of this. And so let's just forget about it. Que sera, sera. What will be, well, will be. Well, neither one of those responses is really the healthiest response. And neither one of those responses is what Jesus would ask us to do. And so, what we want to do is to avoid the gullibility, but we don't want to fall into the trap of cynicism that then just discards the possibility that could ever that it, it could ever happen. So, in 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 our study through the Gospel of Mark, we've been walking with Jesus. He gets now to uh, the the very last week of his life. We're probably at Tuesday night ish in the last week of his life, and we get to chapter thirteen in Mark. Now, this is a pretty lengthy chapter, so I've divided it up into this week and next week. But what we're going to see is disciples ask two questions, and Jesus answers both of those questions, but he doesn't answer them in quite the way that we would expect or we would have hoped. And so that generates a lot of questions and misunderstandings about the end of time. This text is often called the Olivet Discourse because it takes place on the Mount of Olives. Sometimes it's referred to as the little apocalypse, like the little book of Revelation, because it uses language very similar to what we see in the book of Revelation. But what I want us to see as we walk through this text is Jesus is trying to help us figure out how do we live between now and later? What is it we're supposed to do? Run around like Chicken Little, hide ourselves in some sort of bunker, or just pretend like it's never going to happen, and so why even think about it and worry about it? So this text is designed to encourage and give us a plan of action. And so let's read it together beginning in Mark chapter 13, uh, verses 1 and following. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Referring to the the second temple uh, that was built primarily by Herod. The temple got destroyed in 587 B.C. And then it was begun by Nehemiah and Ezra in their uh, rebuilding-the-walls time uh, it took some time, but then Herod came in and put the final, the final touches on it and made it in a really, really spectacular, sparkling, dazzling building. Now, it wouldn't be that to our standards today, but in the ancient world, this was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And they were observing just how beautiful it was, and Jesus takes them down a notch or two. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be knocked down. I don't know if you've ever had a person in your life that you felt was invincible. And then they got sick and they might have passed. Or you might have had a car that never let you down. Old faithful, you might have called that car. And then it gave up the ghost. There might have been a building or a place that you felt like would be here until eternity's end. And then airplanes or bombs or earthquakes take it down. The temple for the Jewish people was it. It was all of those things wrapped up in one. And for Jesus to suggest that it wouldn't be able to withstand whatever forces were coming against it was a quite demoralizing thing for the disciples. So, as they were sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, looking at it, Peter, James, John, and Andrew come up to him and say, Hey, you know that thing that you talked about earlier? When's it going to happen? Now, why do you think they would ask when? Well, if it's going to happen, they don't want to be around. And then the second question, what's going to be the sign that it's about to be fulfilled? Because, see, if you're in the temple and everything goes crazy, it's already too late, right? So they want to know, can you give us a heads up? What are going to be the indicators that we should look for so that we can get out of town? And roughly, when is all this going to happen? Now, what... Jesus is going to answer is primarily about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. It had had numerous times before, but the most definitive time and the final time was going to be in A.D. 70. So it hadn't happened yet in their life, but it was working towards that. But he's going to answer the when question at the end of our text, and we're actually going to look at that next week. What he's going to look at in these verses, up to verse 27, is the what. What are the signs? How will we know that this is about to take place? And so that's kind of where Jesus is is going to go. So he says to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. See, this is the verse to read. Every time we hear of a catastrophe, every time we hear of a tragedy, every time we hear of anything that would lead commentators and televangelists and other individuals say, this is it. Well, maybe. But when you hear of wars, and you hear of shootings, and you hear of earthquakes and you hear of disasters, do not be alarmed. The end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Biblical writers have used this concept of labor and delivery to talk about different situations happening in the world. Um, Many of you are familiar with Braxton Hicks contractions, those contractions that send you scurrying off to the hospital only to find out, nope, not it, go back home, okay. Oh, I I think, no, no, not it, go back home. I'm not sure what the record is. I think we went three times at one point with one of our children, and, uh, and, and each time it was, no, nope, go back home. And uh, it must have been the first one because by then we would have learned, eh, nah, we're not even going to go until, you know, there's a... <laughs> um <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's such a, a significant thing that they even have a name for it, right? It was named after someone who, who really thought through this. And so one of the parent, one of the questions that a a, a, a young parent, perhaps a first time parent, is going to say when they get the braxton oh so this isn't it. so so when is the real one's going to start when when will we know and what is their answer <laughs> who knows and, and, and then once labor starts it, how long is this going to last well yeah I don't know it could be a short time could be a long time. I think the longest time Catherine was in labor was like uh, an hour and a half. And I, you know, I know you guys, some of you moms out there, might hate her for that, but uh, it it was just very, very quick. Her sister, I think, was thirty-six hours. And and you know, you hear these different things, but we want to know when, how long, and what the doctors will tell us is this is just the beginning. So, ride it out, and that's what Jesus is saying. These are the beginning of birth pains all of this that's happening is just the beginning of what's going to take place you must be on your guard you'll be handed over to the uh, local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the gospel must be preached to all nations jesus is assuming that while everything is going crazy out there God's people are going to stick to their task, and their task is to preach the gospel everywhere we go. When you think about what should I be doing when the sky is falling, Jesus will tell us, don't run around yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Don't hide in a bunker. What you should be doing is preaching the gospel, because that is what we're here for. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Now, this is not a word to preachers, and this is not a word to Lord's Supper leaders. There is an expectation that we will think beforehand about what to say. Jesus says, when you're brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He's demonstrating and laying out a horrific scene where the authorities are finding ways to split families. I don't know about you, but I know of families within our Sunset family that have experienced, perhaps not unto death, but emotional death. have experienced abandonment by family members because of decisions to follow God, to stick with church, to do things that are in uh, uh, God's best interest. There might be children who don't agree with their parents and parents who don't agree with their children and their siblings. And then everyone will hate you because of me. Jesus again shows himself to be a hard hitter. He's not saying that the path to following him is going to make you the most popular person. You're not going to win any prizes by following Jesus. What you're going to win is a crown. But at the end of this life into the next Then he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, Mark wrote that to readers in the first century. And when they read that, they understood. We're a little bit more removed, and so it takes a little bit more digging to understand what that's referring to. That phrase comes from Daniel and it's also repeated in one of the books from the intertestamental period, the Maccabees. But it refers to that time in the year 168 or 7 before Christ when an emperor named Antiochus IV Epiphanes went into the Jewish temple, destroyed it, ransacked it, left it abandoned, and then put a statue of Zeus in the Jewish temple and then put his own altar, and upon that altar began to sacrifice pigs. That was the sacrilege that just put the Jewish people over the edge. And they wrote about it, and they talked about it, and they remembered it. And unfortunately, other emperors took a cue from Antiochus and did it, in numerous different times over the past years, uh, or the years uh, after that. And so Jesus is saying, when the temple is about to get destroyed, when you see this happening, you who are in Judea, run for your lives. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this doesn't take place in winter, because those... Uh, will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never equaled again. He's not talking about the end times. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. That was the question, the destruction of the temple, and this is the response. They would see the sign. What are the signs? When you see the temple being desecrated, you know that the ravaging armies are coming in and what he wants his people to do is to protect themselves against those forces. He's not talking about the end of time. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened those days. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, and if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So if a televangelist says, that means this, don't fall for it. Don't buy their book. Don't spend money on their CDs. Don't be the gullible one, like in the first century, that believes every time someone says, ooh, there was an earthquake, this is the end of time. Now, he does, using this imagery and using this opportunity, he does then talk about the end of time, the coming of the sun, uh, the coming of the sun, uh, the son of man. But in those days, following that distress, at some point, doesn't say when, we'll talk about that next week, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people would see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That is referring to the end of time. So he answers their question, but then gives them a little bit more. He goes beyond what their specific uh, request or question was. So in light of all of that, obviously the instructions about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem don't really have quite as much bearing. But as we're waiting between then or now and later, what should we do? Well, the first is to stay away from anyone making specific predictions to say, I know when this is going to happen. Jesus warns us clearly numerous times don't fall for it. Stay away. Just don't even spend much time and energy, and definitely don't spend resources on trying to determine exactly when it's going to end. Because if they know, they know more than Jesus, and anyone who knows more than Jesus is suspect. Second thing stay alert be on guard. We are to have this sense of urgency. That doesn't mean that we're running around frantic, but we're with our eyes open and we are not passive and we are waiting. And what should we be doing? We should be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's two ways to preach. You can preach with your mouth, which requires a certain amount of ability, certain amount of personality, a certain amount of uh, uh, willingness to endure hardship and uh, perhaps rejection. And I know a lot of people that just don't really feel up to that. But the other that you can do is to preach the gospel with your life. And you can preach by the way that you treat people. You can preach the gospel of Jesus and the good news about Jesus by the way you make your priorities and handle how you handle your finances and, and how you make the everyday decisions. There was a cartoon of a man looking up in the, in the heavens. And a guy comes up to him and says, what are you looking at? What are you doing? And he, he responds, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. That's what I'm doing. The other responds, but, but he won't come back from there. You can find them in ordinary life and loving your neighbor and doing good to those who hate you and in suffering for the truth. The man stops and says, did you say suffering for the truth? And then they're both looking up at the sky and the first man says, you know, I find this position more comfortable. I'd rather just stay here and watch and really not think about getting out and doing what I need to do. So let me just very, very briefly give you some ideas on how we can be witnesses and preach the gospel with our mouths and with our bodies, and it has to do a lot with being alert. The first thing, listen and pay attention to those around you. Every person around you is talking about their stuff. No matter where you are, you're going to listen to it. You're going to hear it if you pay attention. At the water cooler, uh, uh, at a restaurant, Uh, Paul uh, Schwepp and I were having breakfast earlier this week, and we were talking about, (laughs) oddly enough, mass transit issues. If you know Paul, that's going to come up in a conversation. And we are talking about that. And before we were finished, the couple that was next to us said, hey, I heard you guys talking about traffic in Miami. And so that led to another series of conversations. Listening to what's happening around you, being attentive to the needs, someone is going to say something about a challenge, a difficulty, something going on in their life. And once you hear that, then the second step, and this is extremely important, Ask permission. Ask permission. You know, one of the things that I have a hard time accepting is someone comes up to me and says, you know what you should do? I should break that finger off, shouldn't I? (laughs) (laughs) Ask permission. You know, I'm I'm sorry. I I, I couldn't help but overhear that you guys were talking about this. And uh, something similar happened to me. Would it be okay if I shared kind of what my experience was? They might say no. Say, hey. No pain, no gain. I mean, uh, it, it's it's it, it, no loss. Uh, it, it's all good. But they might say, Yeah, you know, okay, sure. Um, and, and then share from your personal. Well, when my wife and I were having this, or when we were going this, or when I was struggling with this, or when I went through a situation, or I got laid off, or I had this disease, or I had this situation. This is what helped me. And then talk about how. And if we can't find ways to inject in our conversations what God is doing, how church has helped, how uh, relationships within our family have strengthened us and provided resources for us, then we need to spend some time thinking about that. Because as we share from our personal experience, we're not telling them what they have to do. We're just saying, hey, you know what? I was there, and this is what helped me. And then they can say, oh, okay, thanks. Thanks. And then what I always do is I ask if it's okay if I pray. And I can pray with them, I can pray for them, and then we kind of move on from there. But a lot of it has to do with just being aware, being constant, being vigilant about what uh, uh, God is doing and what he is doing in us and through us. It's like what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us that God will open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward others. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Between now and later. What should we do? Stand firm, stay strong, and preach the gospel. Use words if necessary, but preach the gospel. If you have a prayer request, if we can help you in any way, if you need to deepen your relationship with the Lord, we would love to help you do that through faith, through confession, through baptism. There's any number of ways that you develop a deeper relationship with God. If you have questions about that, we would love to talk to you. Uh, Let's all stand, and you can make way to the front. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me.